0: Hello and welcome back to the Transfer Tracker Podcast. You know, when I started this pod, I thought, this, this really feels like free agency, 100%. And I said that more tongue-in-cheek, even though I really thought that's what it was. Now, the more I'm reading about NILs, which are name, image, and likeness, I think it it pretty much is a free agency. Schools are setting up what they uh call collectives and these are donors and you know businessmen in the community and basically what they're doing is they're pooling money together and you know one person or a board I guess controls how it's distributed a GM but I think this can pretty much be called a salary A salary cap because you know each school is gonna only have a certain amount of money and I even think you know less rich schools will you know be in the picture and just trying to keep that one you know one guy they have of course we all know who the rich schools are and the schools that can you know up a player's fan base a lot of this will be you know based on followers on Instagram social media such as that and you know you know where the eyeballs are, you know, and you know who the rich schools are. And they're gonna have big war chests to go after multiple players like this. And even just reading it sounds like players, you know, some certain players that were only, you know, second round projected type guys like Shibwe, they can make more money in college. And even uh Drew Timmy right now, he's probably making close to a million dollars a year from early reports and and sounds like really it's just the wild wild west of of schools like building these uh, salary caps or pools of money that they can go try to get players to transfer. That's free agency, 100 percent. And just reading about it, there was already an example uh, reported by The Athletic of a five-star Tennessee uh, quarterback Thought to be at least that had got a contract of about eight million dollars. So, you know, this is this is just like pro athletics at this point. Um, at least, and you would think basketball players would be more marketable because they're not wearing the helmet and you know, they're they're more visible. Um, some of the the biggest you know endorsement people in the world are, are basketball players and have been for a long time. Granted, there's a lot more money in football. But the amount of impact one basketball player can have compared to football, it's, you know, much greater. They're playing on both sides of the of the ball. They're playing almost about the whole game. They have, you know, could have 30% usage for the team. I mean, incredible amounts of defensive impact if you're a center. So if I, if I was a school, I'd want to, to spend my money on a basketball player just because I think they're more visible as an athlete. Then you also have to understand basketball is a more safe sport than football. And the chances of a guy getting hurt that you've invested this money in uh, as one of, what, 88, 85 scholarships, uh, I guess football is. Uh, you know, one player, yeah, a quarterback can make an impact, but basketball player can make more of impact, less likely to get hurt um, playing more games, 35 games a year uh, probably. For most guys, or close to it, you know, good guys are going to get in the postseason. So you're going to have plenty of chances to see this guy and, and your investment to play, to be seen and, you know, get followers, and I, I just think that it, it probably leans more towards basketball. If you if you got money in football and basketball, you pretty good programs. I know where I would want to invest my money. Also you have to consider basketball players generally can make more of an impact early on in their career. They don't have to you know get in the weight room and, and gain 50 pounds of muscle for the most part. Um so I think there there's value in that. You get that investment started early and you you're earning the money early if you're a especially a high level recruit out of high school that will certainly have a chance to play. So while we knew this was uh, essentially free agency I think it has become much clearer and clearer now that you know to schools that you're gonna have to pay these guys and that's what they're they're doing they're making deals or talking to other you know guys on the portal how much can we pay you and so it just adds another layer to the to the entire transfer process the portal that is a huge layer that you know I don't think generally has has been appreciated for how big an impact it probably will make and you know we'll follow this we'll we'll, hopefully we'll get to see some numbers at some point or hear some of the promises were made and perhaps got broken already I you know that it's it's just going to be fascinating I think over the next really the next year just to to see that the the push and pull and the you know, tug of wars between these schools, and, and you know, how how is the mid-major schools affected? Can they come up with enough money, you know, for one or two guys? You know, are they going to have a couple hundred thousand dollars to give to their their players? Is that how this works out? You know, um, where where they're just kind of pushed aside? And you know, I thought I thought the talent in the transfer portal last year that went to mid-major schools was uh, super impressive. Um, but now with this with this uh, salary cap essentially coming into effect it's it's just going to be interesting to watch and we'll follow it I'll I'm going to keep trying to find uh, more information on this and keep us informed but my thought you know originally whenever I called teams uh, farm teams if they were just recruiting freshmen I think that that stands now more than ever I mean the guys are going to want to, if they show any kind of promise and they're at a, a school that can't pay them, they're going to want to move up now. So it's already, I mean, they're going to be transferring left and right. They're going to use that transfer to get to a school that can promise them more money. And so teams that are recruiting these freshmen, especially at the lower levels, are are going to be farm teams. I think that becomes clear. And under VAT undervalued in all this i think you know if once you get them to transfer to your school you have them essentially unless, as long as the ncaa is serious about only allowing one transfer you know for free and they don't you know give 70 percent of waivers like they were before but you'll have that guy like if if he transfers from i don't know towson and goes to kentucky or whatever p5 school then he he's probably not going to leave kentucky you know, or whatever schools can pay him, and there's so much money around these major programs that I, I just don't see how it doesn't play out like that. Most guys aren't gonna transfer again and set out, and where you have to set out that a year on the second time, they're not gonna they're not gonna do that. So we'll keep following that, but I'd like to get to a little bit of news. Uh, just. What's going on with the NCAA tournament and some of the best transfers that's popped onto the market in the last couple of days? Significant guys, a couple of them. Remy Martin, let's just uh, start there because he was considered one of the one or two best transfers, pretty much by everyone last year. Deservedly so. I mean, he had been quite a good player at Arizona State, and then he just hasn't lived up to the hype this year. And yeah, he had a, br- a bone bruise and missed some games. But still, he, he wasn't, you know, he I, you would, I think I, I spoke about it in a previous podcast that you expected him to be more efficient, and he, he really wasn't. But he, he's healthy now, I think. He's he's really been playing well uh, ever since the end, towards the end of the conference tournament. But the last two games against uh, Creighton and Providence, he had 20 points. 7 rebounds, 4 assists versus Creighton, and 23.7 rebounds, 3 assists last uh, night versus Providence. Kansas is into the Elite Eight, and they are the the betting favorite at this point, the lone number one seed left, and he's looking, looking like the real deal, like what everyone expected him to, to look like. And it's good. I I think as someone who appreciates transfers, you know, there's something here to appreciate. While we are appreciating, I've got to say something about St. Peter's. They had no transfers. Good for them, though. This is all homegrown. But what an incredible story. A 15 seed going to the Elite Eight. It's almost unthinkable uh, a few years ago. Um, Granted, it seems to be happening you know, ever since Florida Gulf Coast got there, I, I guess, would be, you know, it, it seemed realistic at that point. And they didn't, they didn't seem under They seemed appropriately seated. I, I think, if you just look at the record and, you know, what they actually did. But what they're doing is incredible. And I, I don't know if teams will want their players, or if this is just uh, guys coming together at one time. But I, I think that, Someone's going to look at their players for sure. You you put this kind of run together. Maybe you really were underseeded, And nonetheless, it's an incredible story. I'm very happy. I love underdogs. So that's something that I've always been waiting for. This is what you, as a college basketball fan, I think you dream of being able to see a situation where a 15 seed or a 16 seed upsets number one or 15 seed not only upsetting number one, but Multiple teams in Kentucky, uh, uh, blue blood along the way just makes it more incredible. And now they have a chance to get to the final four. And a team that realistically is fairly beatable, I think they're going to be uh, tougher to beat, you know, than, than Purdue was. Uh, North Carolina, I mean, they just have more perimeter options. And let's talk about Purdue for a minute. This is a team that I have looked at all year. As a, it's like, dude, you got Zach Eddy and Trevion Williams, and you can't figure out a way to play them both. It's just like it's it's mind boggling to me. And I say that way, I say that because Williams is a is a good passer. I mean, he's he's a guy. I watched some film on where he gets the ball and how he how he passes. But you have probably the most dominant big man, and Zach Eddy. He played seventeen minutes, and he had eleven points, and was you know totally good in those minutes five or seven shooting but you got to get that guy on the court man and then you got a, a preseason all-american in williams and he's coming off the bench and he plays 23 minutes it's just it, the, you know it, it's an embarrassment of riches for sure but how do you not figure a way to get both of these guys on the court more than that i'm not saying they have to play 35 minutes a game each but i kind of it just seems like they should be able to play some together. And I know I I love modern basketball. I love having the space. But damn it, when you got talent that's putting up like a forty-two per, and he plays seventeen freaking minutes, you deserve to lose, in my opinion. You got to figure a way to get. If Williams is that good, you got to figure a way that he can play around him. And as a coach, I think your system has to. You have to have a. You have to design a system to make it work, where talent beats. You know the. In a perfect world, Williams will be able to shoot threes and guard out on the perimeter better. But you know he's he's he, he's pretty quick, and he's certainly a good ball handler for his size and and, and passer. Where I think that would work, would work seamlessly, but it's just something that as. A, I have no dog in the fight. Just as an objective person who likes college basketball watching Eddie play 20 minutes a game was kind of infuriating to me in midseason and you're talking about in the big dance where where it matters um, and he had zero fouls it isn't like he just you know fouled out he had zero fouls it's just uh, I don't know man the guy probably could have one of the greatest seasons in college basketball history and he's relegated to a uh, a 20-minute-per-game guy, you know, in the best of times. And in the tournament, he's sitting his ass over on the bench playing 17 minutes a game as they lose to the 15th seed. And, yeah, yeah, I know he had five turnovers. Who cares, man? He's a 42 P or 41 PER guy. You got to have him in there. And, you know, he could he could take control of the game at any point and had could have won it for him. And, you know, what – What's also troubling is they don't, they don't play in the same spots on the court. Williams got his, you know, he was on the elbows, more or less, whenever he was in the game. And Eddie's, of course, you know, getting dunks around the basket. So, I don't know. that I'm not the coach, but I'm sure there's a lot of coaches that could have figured out how to make it work, even in modern times, you know, two bigs like that, especially with uh, disparate skill sets. And... Hopefully, guys, will get in this guy's ear, and he one of them can transfer. I just really want to see what Eddie can do in a in a true starter role. You know, with 30 minutes a game, uh, tw- even 25 will be better. Freaking 19 minutes or 17 minutes in the uh, tournament, 19 minutes he averaged during the year. Just he's so productive. It's like some of the most incredible statistics that any player has ever put up and i don't think it would stop it's it's almost like the the bobon effect you know whenever the guy got run in the nba he he clearly could be productive and you know there's defensive liability issues and i get all of that but but this is college as well you teams aren't making a guy pay like that and and he clearly was a part of a, a great team anyway. I mean, just stretch his minutes out. He was, you know, he's he's got the stamina to play six more minutes uh, or eight. I mean, obviously. And he was so productive in the minutes he, he played anyway that, that you want that guy out there on the court. You should want that guy out there on the court. Okay, let's talk about a significant transfer that has just hit the transfer market Terrence Shannon and he was a transfer from or he's a transfer from Texas Tech. Texas Tech was awesome they were in the Sweet 16 and he, out of coming out of high school he had the pedigree he was a number 81 in his class and 6 foot 6, 210 averaged 10 points, uh, 2.6 rebounds Shot nearly 39% from three point at 16.5 PER, but he was uh, much better last year, actually. The team wasn't quite as good, but I mean, they were still a totally good team, six seed, and he averaged uh, 13 points, four rebounds per game. And let's see what his PER was 21.1. So, yeah, this guy's a, a stud, 0.55 true shooting. The defensive rating is. is 95, 93, 94, 92 every year. Career 94 uh, defensive rating. So he's a, he's the package. He's a totally solid three point shooter. Career 35%, nearly 39% last year. So that's tracking up. That's good. Free throws, uh, 79% career free throw shooter. Gets to the line a good amount. And uh, yeah, this, is, this guy immediately moves to one of the top top players. I don't think he's quite as good as Amick. Um, At least I would prefer Amick, but he's in that tier with uh, Brandon Murray and uh, Tariq Key. Uh, several guys, but I think he immediately moves uh, up, to takes a place near the top of the transfer market. He's just, he's proven commodity. He's got the pedigree coming out of high school. He's got the you know, recruiting rankings. He's got the the size. He's he's done it on on good teams. So you gotta you gotta talk about him. This is a, a significant boom uh, type guy that you know everyone notices when he gets on the on the transfer market, and he's going to be one of the biggest ones this year. We have one more guy to talk about, and I'll get you out of here. Uh, Xavier Penson from LSU. He came onto the market. Averaged 10 points a game, five, five assists. Uh, shot horrible this year, unfortunately. But that's not really why I was interested. I mean, he, he was playing a major role on a top 25 top team. They fired their coach. He's transferring again. But the reason I was more interested in him is what he did at Missouri. And that last year he averaged 13.6 points, uh, three assists a game, for a team that was a nine-seed in the NCAA tournament. So, totally quality player. Already transferred once, but he'll be a senior, you know, graduated, can play again. 17 PER, .55 true shooting at Missouri. I, I'm a believer in that. Like, once you show me the ceiling, like I say, I believe that ceiling exists, and you're a lot more likely to get there than someone that's never been there before. Even Even though he wasn't as good this year, I mean – Maybe it just wasn't as good a situation for him, but he's certainly a guy that should be high up on the the transfer uh, rankings, and and people will, will certainly want his services just because he can be that one of those lead dogs on a on a NCAA team for sure. Okay, so we're gonna wrap it up. The games are about to start as it's uh, nearly four o'clock now, and enjoy the weekend. At Vanguard.